out of the Gaia's Cradle and into the City of Traitors. Next on Eternal Turtles. Before we get started, I want to give a quick thanks and appreciation out there to all the Dirtle Maniacs that support us on Patreon. Without these people, the podcast could not afford the production upgrades and time we devote to it. If you appreciate the content we create, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash eternaldirtles. Now on to the show. Hello and welcome to Eternal Turtles. I'm your host, Zach Clark, and with me as always, Phil Bluckman. Phil, how's it going, man? Zach, it is going excellent. It is the earliest we have ever recorded, and it's for somebody's very, very special. We are here with Julian Knob. Welcome to the pod. Julian, welcome. Hey, thank you for having me on, and thanks for getting up at like probably like five in the morning for you guys. This it's five. I got up at five forty-five to make coffee. Uh, it is now six. It is six oh nine. So uh, we're you know we're 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 solidly into the workday at this point. I, mm-hmm. I haven't woken up this early since. Who I want to say high school. Wait, you guys are not celebrating like the German Day of Unity? Like today is like Bank Holiday and all of Germany. That's what I was about to say, Zach. Are you yeah. not doing that? <laughs> I think it's also, isn't it? Uh, I guess it's next week is uh, Indigenous Peoples Day, um, uh, formerly known as as Columbus Day. Uh, that's next. That's next Monday. <laughs> okay. Like, uh, like you, you know, we always celebrate. Like, what's it called? July Fourth in the U.S. No, Fourth of yes. July. That's the only day we use such around. Yeah, yeah. So I would very much expect that you guys like celebrate our Unification Day. Anyway, I, I decided to come here instead of uh, celebrating German Unification. And as as you should, as you should, we're very excited to hear. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's a unification of sorts, right? Uh, so I I, I I wrote this up in my brain last night. Um, you know, the, all the all the uh, legacy podcasts that have Eternal in their name, right? You've got Eternal Glory, you've got mm-hmm. Everyday Eternal, and uh, and of course Eternal Dirtles. And I, I think of you guys. So if if Eternal Glory is the uh, Triforce of Power. You guys are the Triforce of Wisdom, and I realize that that centers us as, like, the the hero is Triforce of Courage, but that is, courage in this particular scenario is is just dumb, like, barreling forward, like, idiocy <laughs> for the most part, yeah, so. We, we should say, there's 0% chance in my mind that anybody who listens to us does not listen to Everyday Eternal, but uh, Julian is the host of Everyday Eternal, alongside Kai, Kai Sautarix and Callum. We love Callum. I've uh, not, yet to meet Kai, but... Uh, I have gotten uh, drunk in Belgium with Calum, so <laughs> that's the best, best place to get drunk. Awesome, perfect yeah. choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Julian, today we're going to talk about your journey uh, from uh, noted elves player. I mean, you might be what one of the regarded as like like when when somebody talks about elves, just like you're the guy, you know. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I was actually thinking like it's it's weird the paradigm shift from like you know like five years ago who people thought of for decks versus now because like I think Phil is is definitively the guy who everyone thinks of for for uh, miracles at this point and he used to be the oarsman right like five years ago people mm-hmm. would have said said that and I think five years ago everyone would have like when elves comes up in a conversation you're the first person that comes to mind. It still happens to this day. Uh, people send me messages. They they want me to stream I mean, more elves. They they want me to come on a podcast and talk about elves and stuff like that. That was me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's kind of funny. Shame. It was like a big threat on YouTube. The, uh, on YouTube on Twitter the other day, the, the first person who comes to mind for certain decks, and there were a lot of decks listed, but nobody mentioned me for elves. And I was like, oh, this is this is the point where my legacy slowly fades away. And then like a couple of people mentioned me on the very same day, and you invited me to the podcast, and I was like, okay. <laughs> Got another couple of years in the tank until, until you, like, you, I fade into obscurity. 
so that was Martin Hughes's post. I don't know why he was asking for uh, why people like who people associate with certain deck archetypes. But the what came to mind was uh, Julian and uh, really good uh, gaming graphics on his stream. That, that's <laughs> Thank you I, very much. That's, that's what I always because like your your stream. I've, anybody who hasn't seen Julian's stream setup should definitely be watching his stream. Uh, the, your transitions and everything. I was like, this guy gets it. This guy, this guy, this guy has all of the stuff. I remember he has all the transitions and the stuff with his mic. And I'm like, I want to watch. I could watch this guy forever, even if he's only ever playing decks that I get crushed by. I can never beat a Hedron Crab, Julian. I'm very I can never. You for it. Thank you very much. <laughs> and that's so sick. <laughs> it's really, like me, really right? up our game now, Phil. Oh, I mean, you guys have been around for such a long time, right? You said like seven years or something. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the biggest thing about podcasts, right? What everybody says, like you can do, be as good or as bad as you want, but like 90% of the work is consistency and staying out there and, and get, I don't know if people think about podcasts. I think you're one of the very first legacy podcasts that comes to mind. And oh, thank you. Really, only a small part of that is quality, and I don't mean that like in any kind of depreciating. Like I really mean it in, in the consistency way, right? Yeah. You, you, you just gotta get in there. And I mean, for for eternal, dude, I was almost about to say eternal glory. Like we have too way too many similar names for it, everyday eternal. We we sometimes like had episodes in the past where I've, like ah, oh, this wasn't as good, but at least you know we got it out and people got to listen to it. And then sometimes you get yeah. the bangers, and I mean that's just like how you murdered. Yeah, I think I think I mean there's a lot to that. Uh, for for me, you know, over the past two years, we've been working on the video thing. Obviously, we're doing video now, uh, and then and then you know, I, I got to a point where I was like, it's not just enough to do like to just offer video. We got to be doing really great video, like a, a go, at least above above par video, not just like I slap it together and throw it on the internet kind of thing. And I think that has that has upped our game uh, in the in the realm of like what our content is actually offering to, because it used to just be like, Hey, Sunday night, let's get together and talk about legacy. Me, Phil and, and Nate would, would just like come up with a topic or whatever. Now, like, you know, you said the other day, I, I reached out to you that, that is, that was a list of like 12 topics. I have like at the beginning of every month, I write down like everything I want to do for the month. And I come up short every month. Like I never get everything done. But like that was like okay, I'm gonna like reach out to all these people about all these different topics and see see what we can get going. And I think yeah, I think the the consistency is key. And then once you get the consistency to a point where you're very comfortable with the consistency, um, it, it just behooves you to start doing like better production and stuff exactly like that. right once you feel confident in all the, the things that you do and you don't have to think about them it's it's the same for legacy decks or like i guess magic decks in general but it's I, when i watch other people play decks that i'm very comfortable with and i i talk to them afterwards and ask them why did you spend so much time on this and they're like oh i was thinking about this this and this and like when you've been in the same situation like 500 times you you don't think about that you you can it, it's almost like in chess right that the, the more you know the more you can think about like the deeper stuff Whereas if you if you're like oh does the pawn move one or two fields like I don't know <laughs> it's like you know mm -hmm. you, you you lose so much time and 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 mental energy and I guess it's it's the same for most things once you once you build consistency and familiarity with what you're doing you you can like go as deep as you want eventually. Practice makes perfect, as they say. See you yeah. see, and you use way fewer words to to say the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> and, and 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 that is uh, when we do dive into our uh, it's talking about magic. I mean that is. The, the learning the play patterns of a specific archetype, particularly one that uh, you're, somebody isn't familiar with. I mean, uh, I was having the conversation yesterday about 
you know, when when does Sensei's divining top not come up in conversation? And uh, it's never me bringing it up. And uh, but I had made the joke. I was like, oh yeah, ever since Top was gone, uh, rounds never go to time. Zero people go to time now, which is great. Uh, and but but I was I was talking about how the uh, if if you're playing a deck where you know that you're going to go either a longer match or a grindier match, that like it is it is on you to know essentially like the opening uh, gameplay essentially like you would in chess where it's like you can, you can zip through the first, you know, X number of moves that are already, you know, determined theory for the mm -hmm. most part, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And so you can, much. You, you can just dive into stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Is there like um when, when you, I mean, for all the years that you played elves and then for uh, you know, as we talk into what you're uh, interested in playing these days was that it, for elves, it was always like, Turn one, you always would get a mana accelerant, right? Like there was never a hand you could keep without something like that, right? Mm, see, that's that's too black and white for me. There's, there's certainly like, if I did it like that, that I would have to send back most of my hands. Ideally, you want the mana accelerate, for example, but there's also like many scenarios where you just, it's actually, especially if you're on the draw, you would very often play the worst creature if your opponent like went land go because then you put them in a position where they kind of want to use their removal and it works best when they have a two drop that they want to tap out for like let's say i don't know like back in the day counterbalance or, or stoneforge was the, the most common one so you'd sometimes run out the, one of the worst creatures in your hands on the first turn mm. so they'd be like i really don't want to start to plowshares this like nettles until on the first turn against a lot of decks it doesn't mm -hmm. really matter all that much but then they're like but i don't i, I kind of have to because i really want to tap out on turn two and and by putting that into that position the best they can come up with is the best decision which isn't great and if they mess it up then it's all the better for you or uh, so, so that's just like so, so many so many like tiny things also if you're playing against pox for example your best first time plays a current ranger because if they go small pox you bounce back your land and like you, you come out ahead like there's there's many many tiny little things and i mean it, it just comes with like years of playing it where you you like develop almost automatisms about that and you just like it's super easy but yeah acceleration it, it, on the first turn is, is by far the best it's a night and day difference between having three mana or two mana on turn two with elves yeah, and I, it's like you also for for every instance that you just said, like every example that you just said of like what to play first. I I know the kind of player I am that when you say yeah, I'll just cast Nettle Sentinel on turn one. Nettle Sentinel to me on turn one, I assume I'm dead on turn two. I assume, <laughs> I, I, assume I assume it's just Elf plus Heritage Druid, and then we're just off to the races on turn two. And I'm like, all right, yeah, like this is this is gonna be bad for me. It's kind of funny. Heritage Druid is probably the F the F that gets cited out the most in, in like classic like um uh, cl classic Fs as you would imagine it. I mean, we've had many different iterations over the years, but yeah, people, people I, I've had it many times where I go like turn one Heritage Druid, which almost literally is the worst play. Like it, it depends so much on the matchup. Like sometimes why would it's the worst play a lot of times, and people go like Force of Will, pitch show and tell. I'm like oh, it's okay. We can do that again if you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, I got to do this more often. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> You're like, great. I've I've cast a weird green counter spell. This is amazing. Yeah, Wait of summer. <laughs> yeah, we we already had that back in like 2009. Or um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we've we're, we're talking elves, but you have you have pivoted. You've switched. You've changed. Uh, you've changed your deck archetype around a bit. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, you like in our show notes. It sounds pretty harsh, like a, a rebrand of sorts and a drastic <laughs> rebrand. <laughs> yeah, wait, let, let me read it. Let me read it. It's great. Uh, I said uh, until recently, you were known as an elf pilot, perhaps the most well known in legacy in the legacy community. These days, you play Red's Prison. What prompted the drastic rebrand? <laughs> 
I, I guess it, it sounds good as a headline, but I, I don't think it was like a rebrand and certainly not a conscious one if it was one. Yeah. And it also wasn't drastic at all. It was like very much like, a, I, I basically, uh, a lot of people always knew me initially in my legacy career as the Enchantress guy. I played Enchantress for like five years or something. I, then I, knew I, I, I recall that, yeah. Yeah, you, also on the source, right? My title was that Enchantress guy for a long time. And then I went into Elves from 2013 until like 2018, 19, which certainly were my most successful years, also the years where I tried the hardest. And then around 2018, I sold the deck. I also had like a couple of changes in my private life. I moved. I was like in a very committed relationship back then. So a lot of things were like, Oh, legacy is on the back burner at that point. I also I sold the deck because I needed to pay back my student loans because Germany had a time where we were like, oh, let's do it like in the US. We we need to make people pay to go to university. So oh, I came out terrible. of university. Yeah, but like no we only one should paid. have to do that. Yeah, we decided like after <laughs> I was done going Europe. to university, we decided yeah, actually let's not do that, and, and we like aborted that. But that was exactly the time I went to university. <sighs> so yeah, I was like, okay, let's say elves, and then I can like start paying back the shit. And I can say shit on this podcast. Or yeah, you're yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, awesome. <laughs> shit, shit, shit. No, and I, yeah, I didn't have it in paper anymore, which doesn't really matter because, like, you, you know how legacy works, right? You can always borrow a deck if you want to. But I wasn't that committed to tournament grinding. And then also, like, I think, I, I don't want to say the ban of Deathlord Shaman pushed me away from it because I played it, like, for a long time after still. But I, I wasn't that excited about a lot of stuff, like Plague Engineer. Like, lots of tiny stuff that didn't kill the deck but also made it so that's like do i want to put in the time and the work to like still keep it at the top and i didn't mm. and yeah so it kind of faded away but i still played legacy right uh, but much more and that, that, i think that was the biggest conscious decision it's not a rebrand of anything it was more like a okay i spent the last five to six years i want to say maybe i was the european guy who played the most mid and high level events in Europe, if not around the world, like literally the most. I think there's not a single MKM I missed, uh, except for like one where there was like a similar. Anyway, I, I was insanely dedicated grinding. I even went to like the, the US twice and I went to, to China twice to play tournaments there. And that was the conscious rebrand of sorts where I was like, okay, I've kind of proven myself to myself. I think I, I, I'm happy with what I did. And now it's much more, let's focus on the podcast. Back then we had Bob Wang on the cast and Bob was like, hey, let's let's be like much more serious about Everyday Channel. And I like that and I still like that. And I think a lot of things just changed where I wasn't that dedicated to like really grinding as hard anymore. And I just like, I've always played other decks on the side. I have many decks that I liked. So it was like, was funny to me that it was the Elf Sky, but I guess I played it in big tournaments. So, I mean, it, it makes sense. But over the years since then, I played a lot, lot, lot of different decks. And last year, last summer, my co-host, Callum Smith, uh, he was already pretty deep into Painter. And I was like, okay, every podcast, Callum talks about how awesome Painter is. And just from the, the strategy, strategic setup of the deck, I liked it so much that I picked it up on Magic Online, played it for like half a year, did really well with it. And then last winter... I decided, okay, I don't really have like paper legacy decks anymore. Oh, like I'm, <laughs> I'm boring out sex so much. He, oh, he's actually, he's <laughs> off to buy paint, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And... He, he heard, he heard it and he was like, I need this deck. I exactly. must have it immediately. Exactly. I think that's how it works. And then last, last winter, I bought Painter in paper. And right now, it's my only legacy deck I, I have in mm. paper. And I've been enjoying it for like over a year now, which I guess is a, is a testament to how awesome the deck is. Both to, to win and to play like sometimes decks are great to play but they don't win sometimes decks win but they you, you don't really like them 
Oh, there's a dog. Awesome. Hey, how's it going? Yeah. How do you? This is Brando. Brando. He was scratching hey. the door because I have the door closed. So he's like, why Why can't I be involved <laughs> in this conversation? Awesome. Here we were talking about Painter. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so yeah, this is how I arrived at Painter. And when you... Is is Painter and, and it's... And the ilk of like, you know, creature... Uh, you know, creature of combo decks. Uh, I don't know. Would you would you classify elves as combo? Uh, it depends. It's it's. I, I guess it's like aggro. But it, it can do it all. I think, That's it, why I I think if, if you had to pick one of the three major traditional archetypes, you would uh, list it under painter. But the uh, under painter, yeah, see, smart, um, junior, and under con combo. Mm. But the thing is, I've always liked these decks that have a combo aspect to them that the opponent must respect very, very much, but that also can, like, grind really well. So in a lot of games, you actually have inevitability, just because you, mm -hmm. like in Painter, you, you have all these, these goblin graveyard interactions that give you so much value. In Elves, you always had, like, Visionary drawing you so many cards. And it's important that you can turn that card advantage not only into something that goes along the combo path, but that also goes along a different path. For example, in Painter, it's a little bit more of a controlish but also aggressive path and elves it's much more of an aggressive path because you you only have so many really like controlish elements to it sometimes like after after side putting you had but the strategically uh the most important thing and i keep going back to something i think doyle brunson said about poker where like they i think he said like the key to limit po uh, to, uh, to to no limit poker is putting a man to the decisions about all that chips yeah, and I like that so much mm -hmm. because that's so much also what elves did, right? Elves a lot of times put the opponent in a position where they're like, I really have to respect that combo and I probably need to make a play I don't want to make because I need to respect the combo. But then it turns out I don't have the combo. It turns yeah. out I cited mm -hmm. out natural order and even glimpse is not in my hand. And I just put you to a decision that gives me a lot of advantage. But of course, you can't know that because you can't see my hand. It might actually be the proper plus EV play for you to, to respect the combo. But if you knew my hand, you would play completely different. And then you, like after sideboarding with elves, I want to say like 50% of times, over 50% of times, you literally won by just like beat down and, and draining out of uh, Deathrite Shaman. And that's, I don't want to say only work, but a massive part of that only work because the opponent had to constantly respect the combo. And here you see why Painter is also basically the kind of deck I want to play because Painter does the same. Ever since we had Urza Saga, we massively reduce the combo aspect in most of these painter decks these days we only have two grindstones for example sometimes they only play one post board when they don't have white for prismatic ending so they they can't really properly get rid of it forever so you also have a lot of games where you literally just go for the beatdown right you make the constructs you maybe sometimes hard cast fury make copies of it or even just like go get there with the stupid goblins like take one take two take three it's like it happens and that's the biggest thing for me i constantly want to put my opponents into spots where they feel uneasy about what's going on not even necessarily because of what's physically happening in the game but because they have to respect all the stuff that might happen on this or the next or the next two turns or something so they have to constantly give my hand more credit than it actually has and that drastically Im improves your your position in the game and that's what i love so much about Peter. This is sort of the draw that I felt when I uh, when I played against the uh, the blue painter mirror, uh, where I was like, "Ooh, this is enticing!" Like you know, as an eight cast player, I was just like, "It's kind of neat to just be like, 
oh, you know what? I'm threatening a, a lethal play every turn. Like, some, anything can happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, <clears throat> it's also somewhat similar with, um, for example, Infect. Infect also, like, always puts you in this position where, like, should I use the removal spell? Uh, I don't. And then they just use Pendlehaven and Exalted and give you three, three, three. And sometimes they blow you out on the second turn. And it also constantly puts you, puts you in a position where you don't want to tap out, even though it might actually be right to tap out in that spot. And then it turns out they only attack you for two. And you're like, oh, I could have played my, I don't know, what have you on turn two that I wanted to play, and I didn't because I gave them too much credit. But now if I use the Swords of Plowshares, I might actually die. And I mean, people eventually realize that it's actually correct to use the, the removal spell on their own main phase and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think Elves, Infect, Painter, those are like, Typical decks that very much represent that, and I, I absolutely love that playstyle because it makes the opponent so uncomfortable. I'm sorry, I want to make you uncomfortable about the game, not not about like our personal interaction. Actually, a lot of people told me that that they feel like super menaced, but like I don't know that that I have like this this aura. At least when I tried, I, I guess I don't really have that anymore. Where I come to the table and everything like oozes, oh, I'm gonna win. <laughs> I mean, it's true. Like, when I come to a table, I assume I'm going to win. Like, I played against Shah Shanna in the finals of Professor of Moxon back then. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to win. Like, he was, like, double world champion or something. I was like, I don't even know the guy at the time. I <laughs> just like, of course I'm going to win. Like, that's at least one person has to win, right? So yeah. might as well be me. And it's a coin flip, right? It it's, a, it's a yes or no, right? If someone's going to win, it might as well be you. Yeah, it, literally, it's so funny. Um, I... That's literally what I thought when I played the... I mean, that was my big breakout event, right? In 2013, the, the 700 player Bazaar of Moxon. I remember mm. I was walking around because I had a couple of buys. I was walking around and watching everybody play and I was like, huh, somebody's gonna win that. Like, there's no way out unless I guess the ball crumbles and everybody dies. And like, yeah, that's, that's not planned for that. Like, somebody has to win it. Like, literally, physically, it's impossible for somebody not to win it. And I thought like, okay, it might as well be me, right? Why not? And <laughs> I mean, in that case, it actually worked out. And that's a, there's the confidence booster. When you're talking about uh, wanting to, the, the Doyle Brunson quote, uh, it's just making me think at a, it's a larger, uh, it's like a, a zoomed out version of how I think about people when they play against days. It's mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. they may or may not have it, but you often have to respect it to your own detriment. And that like changes how you behave. And it's like, rather than it just being like, okay, I, I, this turn got punted or whatever. You have to like think about like I could just be dead, so I have to respect that. Is there is has there ever been a deck where you haven't had access to that in in game? Like between you know elves, and then you uh, mentioned infect. But have you ever seriously like committed yourself to uh, playing a deck that didn't have aspect to that? And would you if there was like if there wasn't, would you even consider the deck? Mm, it's actually kind of hard because like. If, Apart from the decks we mentioned, uh, I think the only other deck that I really seriously committed my tour, like basically ever since I've played Legacy, is like Tempo decks. So any kind of mm-hmm. like Diver deck or even before we had Diver, that kind of like Canadian, that kind of stuff. Survival back then. But even Survival, the, the kinds of Survival decks I played, they, they were a lot more mid-rangey and then had some combo aspect, like Barn Survival, for mm-hmm. example, where you got like Loyal Retainers and, and then Iona. But the rest of the deck was literally just like Grog, Swarmong, Tamogoyf. That kind of stuff. So I guess the opponent back then I didn't really think about it like that, but it's certainly an aspect mm-hmm. where you also like threatened to just like drop Iona at some point and they they kind of had to respect that. But I think it goes back to something I once said about Legacy that still kind of holds true to this day. And I, I didn't really keep up with it, whether it actually holds true. But like one of my credos about Legacy was you either want to do something unfair or something, or at least that has an unfair aspect to it, or you want to have some kind of mana acceleration. 
or cheat on mana or anything yeah. like that. I guess cheat on mana and mana accelerate and, and, and like um, unfair almost overlaps. But ideally, the, do both. Ideally, do both. Yeah, <laughs> but then you you end up in like I don't know show and tell territory. And I played that for, for a while, but I've never been the biggest fan of that. Uh, I played. Well, Dredge Painter's Horns. doing that right. Like you're you're using soul lands. Mm. You're you know you, and you're obviously doing the grindstone thing. So I think that, 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 true, that falls into true. it. But then again, show and tell barely ever hardcasts Grizzlebrand or something. Yeah, <laughs> this is very true. Yeah, <laughs> unless you play blue green and you have like two cupboard of flowers and stuff like that. But yeah, I think that's that's the kind of magic I just enjoy the most, where the opponent constantly feels like threatened and uncomfortable because you, like I mentioned, right? If they get it right. It, we are equal, but if they mess up, then I'm I'm massively ahead, mm -hmm. and I didn't yeah. even do anything to do that. I just like played out my normal game plan, and then they're like, "Oh, tap out here." I'm like, "Okay, ancient tomb, grindstone, GG." And yeah, I, I mean that's also why we can't really get rid of Simon Spirit Guide in the deck because we right now most people play like something like three, sometimes four when you have like a heavy splash of Lotus Petals. But when I have three Lotus Petals, I still play one or two Simeon Spirit Guides because Simeon Spirit Guides also make it easier for the opponent to mess up. I mean, you, you guys know the classic scenario, right? You have Painter, you have Grindstone, but you only have like one or two mana. And they're like, okay, I'm safe. I'm, I'm like going to tap out for something. And you're like, oh, Simeon Spirit Guide, GG, getcha. Also, yeah. I'm mm -hmm. on the focus. Here we go. Okay, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I constantly want my opponents to never feel like they get a break. Yeah, it's essentially you want to maintain the tension as long as possible. Yeah, exactly. It's like, go ahead. Yeah. It, it, no, it's it's a good, it's a very good way to put it because you can very much feel once the once the tension breaks and you're sitting on a board that's like just bad and you you literally you have nothing to you could even draw or threaten and that's where the garbage time starts a lot of times and the only way to get back from that is like to have like sticky threats or like Ferrixian Dragon Engine that hopefully doesn't get like sorts of plowshares so you can also like get a, like. You guys know that, right? And a lot of people listening to this know that you very much know if you're playing a tempo deck or one of these like aggro combo decks that I, I like. Once the tension breaks, you feel like it's so hard to ever get back into the game. And that's also why sometimes people, when they get out an early threat in a tempo deck, they if, if they are like a low mulligan and they know their hand isn't probably going to go very far and the opponent plays a deck that's light on removal, they will force their removal on their like, I don't know, turn one diver because they know they can never build up the tension again. And that sometimes looks awkward, but it also is a testament sometimes to, to people understanding how, how the matchup and how it works on a strategic level, not only on a technical level. Yeah, if you only have one queen, you have to protect it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I want to get the second one. Like, if the Delva attacks <laughs> yeah, yeah, four yeah. times, it flips into a Tarmogoyf or something. I don't oh, know. Yeah. That's the future. I, I, I think that, like, that, that's something that I, I don't know if a, there's, like, a, a, a term for it, but I, I have felt that more uh, recently, uh, the idea of, when when that tension breaks, whether that's like on your end or on your opponent's end, uh, but like it, I've noticed that like there are ways that it can break in not only just like okay, am I threatening to win or am I threatening to like maintain a position, but also like when something happens where you go, oh, I feel like I'm effectively locked out or I I can't. There, there's nothing that I'm going to be able to to do in a lot of positions, and uh, like I lost to Fairy Time Raveler yesterday, but it was just like when my opponent plays Teferi, I force, they force back, and then the Teferi ticks down. And now I'm like, oh, I don't have anything, to, I don't have anything to threaten it. And even if I do remove it, it just feels like there's no way to claw back into this. Where, and then in that regard, where you're like, you know, you're playing a deck like Painter, and you're like, well, I also could just kill them. Yeah, yeah. That's very much, you know? 
uh, uh, one of the favorite plan Bs of a love decks that can do it. And I would even go as far as to say in paint, that's almost the, the plan A. I, I, plan B, I guess, is abortion pill in the US. We, we use, we in Germany, we say plan B for like if you have an alternate plan. I, anyway, <laughs> uh, and I think if you can do that, if you can like pivot between plans, that gives you so much more strategic diversity that makes it so much harder to, to uh, figure it out for the opponent. Because I think in uh, um, Who's the Beatdown, I think Flores talks about miss interpretation of your role equals mm -hmm. loss and that's not only going into the match but that's also applicable during the match because it sometimes flips around right you go into a match you feel like oh i have inevitability but then you you go deeper into it and at some point you realize okay technically i had that at the beginning of match of the match but now my path to victory is beat down and i have to close out the game as soon as i can and a lot of people i think when when i talk to them and i mean we, we i've been like that in the beginning as well they they don't think about that. They're, they're like, ooh, I play control deck. I must play control. And sometimes, you know, there's... I think you've, you in the classic Miracle Days, sometimes you you knew that you had to win, for example, against sometimes like... At least for me, it came up against Death in Texas. Sometimes where you're like... Or even Chant, if, especially post-part, where you feel like, okay, my best path to victory is literally just play a bunch of lands and then end of turn make and treat the angels and there's nothing they can do. And that's how I went. Whereas if I went longer and they have like, I don't know, like let's say slaughter games or whatever. I mean, that's that's a very brutal example. But you, you get the idea, right? So yeah. Even sometimes you have to pivot. And I think a lot of people, especially in, in, in Legacy, they, they are just like married to the idea, I am combo deck, I am control deck. Or, we don't really have proper aggro decks anymore. Well, I think a, a good to... example of that is, is you know, back, you know, let's, let's go like five years ago in, in control decks when you were playing Snapcaster Mage and you knew that you were playing against another control deck and you're like, I'll just make this an ambush viper and then swing in the next turn. <laughs> you know, like there's there's plenty of times where like someone someone assessed the the whole situation was like i think just making this guy a beat a beater is like what i need to do yeah it's also about planning ahead it happens a lot against teferi time reveler for example where i feel like I, I want to present a board where even if they go teferi minus and then i untap i can still immediately kill teferi and at least mm -hmm. you know that way we are real like even and th that goes into planning ahead and sometimes you in, in uh, for example painter because we have the luxury of playing like between five and seven blasts sometimes late eight but we're like down to five or six we you anticipate the teferi especially if they didn't do anything on the first or the second turn and you even like presented maybe a creature that they want to go for so like you narrow down what they got in hand right and at some point you arrive oh they probably are going to make teferi and that's a big part of their of their game plan and then you you don't do your best second turn play i mean that this goes into like very basic magic i guess nobody can really learn all that much from that <laughs> now that i mention it but the you always want to think about what the opponent is doing and what what their ideas and how they want to use the cards and like in, in your head you sometimes even just subconsciously you scratch off all the stuff they probably don't have because they they could have used it to to a big advantage on some of the previous turns so the only way they really have it is you miss something which is like it's great when it happens in magic online because then you can learn it sucks when it happens in a big tournament uh or or they drew it for the turn which of course is very unlikely so yeah I, I i would actually argue that the 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 notion that at least when people play in paper that when your opponent is making land drops, that every every time they they do or do not do something with their mana, it is representative of it is translating information in hand. And I think that it's I, I would argue that more people have a difficulty discerning that kind of information over the board than they do when playing online, because when they play online, they can speak out loud 
or they can <laughs> they can they can say things to themselves like okay well they didn't do this this turn so they probably don't have beanstalk because why wouldn't they just slam it there so they're probably sitting on at least some number of three drops or their hand is entirely reactive so like i can at least narrow it down to like those two pathways what is my hand better set up against than i can navigate it like that like as opposed to over the board, it's it's really weird if you just started saying that out loud, you know? So oh, I do that all may... the time, though. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, I talk like, a lot, I, lot, lot during the match. I have had opponents that uh, do, like, talk their thoughts out loud as though you're not there. They'll just be like, hmm, you didn't do that. So I guess that means that you don't have this. And, like, the thing is, is, like, you don't want to then behave in a way that's giving information to them. So, like... If I in the times where I played played against an opponent like that, I sort of just sit there. I'm like, <laughs> oh, yeah. my my story for that is uh, I I do talk a lot, and uh, this was it, this was shorter ago than it should have been. But someone said to me during a match that I was playing against, they said, "Hey, can you be a little more circumspect?" And I said. I don't know what that word means. And <laughs> I, I was being truthful, but I think they thought I was being a jerk. Uh, and, and that, then I had to like Google what circumspect means. I was like, oh, okay. Um, I feel like. What were you doing? I was just talking it out. You know, like I always uh. talk it out. Like if, if I have, if I have a board presence and I think that they have something, I'll just be like, okay, well you obviously have a force of war here. You probably have a sword. Oh no. You I know? think that's, I mean, I, if I know you, that's different. Uh, especially like I'm in friends, but if I don't know the person, I, I almost feel like that's a little bit pretentious. Like I, for me, it's more like I talk to my opponent all the time about how they feel about the game, what they're doing. And I guess for me, it's just like my way to stay engaged in the game and everything and, and yeah, that's like exactly keep it together. But like the, the, the inner monologue on the outside, I, I guess I sometimes might do that, but yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I'm not telling them. I'm literally just like saying it out loud. I was like, okay, okay they've got a force of will because they would have done this otherwise. Uh, I guess I guess if I swing in here, you know, this is generally when I was playing Infect too, because you really have to think about what, what's going on in your opponent's hand. I'm like, I guess if I swing in here, there's no way you're going to use removal because you can't afford for me to do X, Y, Z. Uh, and, 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 you know, like that unnerves people a little bit. And it's not like, you know, it's not my, uh, <laughs> it, it's a extra part of what I'm doing, but really I'm just trying to like make sense of the situation. And I do that best when I'm talking out loud. For me, it's more like I literally ask my opponent whether they have a certain card, just because I like. I almost like treat this as, as like a casual game. I think I do it a lot less, and like once it gets more important, like win it in and top eight. But for most of the time, it's just like blah 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 blah. And it always reminds me of a poker tournament I once played, and I, I was put like to a pretty tough decision whether to call or not. And at some point, I literally just like looked up at the guy and asked him, "Hey, what do you have?" And he like flashes his hand, and he was like, "Oh." <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes, sometimes yeah. you get people that way. Well, yeah. I, I, so we we just came back from Vegas, and I did I did a little uh, I did a little no limit like one two on the last day, and uh, and one of the guys next to me that that like I knew was like, hey, um, are you allowed to like talk through this? Can you like tell people what's in your hand? I'm like, yeah, but they don't have to believe you. Like it's just like magic. You can tell people you have a force of will. They don't have to believe that you have one. <laughs> You you guys are flashing me back. Do you do there there was a there was a a time in Magic where the only thing writers on sites uh, were were talking about the only thing players wanted to do at the table was they wanted to cast a Vendillion click, not say anything. Your oh, opponent just uh, puts their hand on the table. Uh, 
you would write it down and then you would say, okay, I'm going to target mm. myself like a real scumbag. And that I remember, I remember was that. the talk of the, that was the talk of the town. It was like, <laughs> guys, don't put your hand down. You have to ask them mm. for the target guys. Don't be an idiot. And uh, let me tell you uh, the, the, the times that I uh, put it down that I, I got got by that a couple of times where somebody would play Vendelia and click. Obviously it's in a position where they would target me. So like, I just like put my hand down, they wrote it down and then would look me in the eye and say, I'll actually target me. And then I would look them back in the eye and say, do you feel better about yourself? Yeah. Do you guys know put one out to Vendelia and click, right? Oh, one of my favorite cards ever. By the way, you guys know, know the same thing about Demigod of Revenge. You, you, yes. you know, yeah. yeah. I mean, the listeners the, might not know about it. It's like, a, I think it's a five mana, five, four haste flying, something like that. Yeah. And when you cast it, you return all other demigods of revenge from your graveyard to play. So a common thing back then was you cast it, then the opponent, I don't know, counterspells it. I don't know what it was Forces the format. It, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you're like, okay, trigger resolves, it comes back into play. So if you if you countered it, you, you consciously had to like tell them you only do it after like the trigger resolve, which at that point would have done nothing. But yeah, it's wow. it's one of yeah, those so things. For, for for people to visualize when you when you cast the card. It puts a trigger on There's the a stack that returns trigger, yeah. all copies. And then if you counter the spell before this trigger resolves, it'll bring itself and all of the other copies back. So you have to wait for that trigger to resolve. So all so you are countering it when all of the other demigods are already back in play. I think is what the board state actually looks I like. I think the biggest scumbag move I ever had happen to me was uh at an SCG event in like Long Island. Uh, I was playing Rug Delver, and this is when I didn't even have all the fetch lands for the deck, so I, I ran out like an Aaron Mesa as my, I like... Just, I, I want to quickly interrupt just to, you know, Julian, it, this is strange because nothing scumbaggy ever happens on Long Island. Long Island is, no, <laughs> Long Island is notoriously the scumbaggiest, scumbaggiestless place in the world. I thought so. Long Island so, is like where, where all like, the rich people go. No, that's that's yeah, yeah. that's that's Long Beach that's, that's, Island. That's that's a that's a different place. This is definitely not I the like place at the, at the very end of go. Long Island. Is like where all these these what's yeah, called Hamptons or something. Oh yeah, that, yes, yeah, yeah. Yes. There's, there, there's rich country out there. Yeah, there's, yeah. Mostly, it's just garbage. Um. So so uh, anyhow, my opponent uh, We're losing all our Long Island yes. listeners. No. <laughs> uh, my opponent played. Uh, you know, he was playing Reanimator, and he put a Grizzlebrand in his yard, and I snap Surgical Extraction, right. I go through his deck, I get I get the grizzle brads out, and he goes, "Are we good?" And I'm like, "Yeah, let's go." And then he goes, "Okay, I'm gonna exhume." I was like, "Yeah, why is your grizzle brand still in your graveyard?" And he's like, "Oh, oh you, you messed up, take dude. It out. <laughs> you didn't take it out of my graveyard." And I'm like, "Are you kidding me, dude? Uh, like, I'm not trying to touch your cards. Like, what?" So we called a judge over. The judge sided with him. I still dazed it and stopped it from happening. But I was just like, "What a scumbag!" Oh, like, but I'm on, I'm on I'm on that guy's side though, especially when it comes to Sergeica for that. I, I actually leave the card in the graveyard quite a lot of times, even like consciously. <laughs> but you know, I, I don't play I don't play Magic Online enough to like know that you have to touch the the <laughs> card. You know, like I was just oh, like, you don't need to touch it. You can even just like say it, right? You yeah, t- take it. The the the, the, the 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 first time I felt I was like scammed, but it was perfectly fine, and I I might have even used it on other people at some point. Yeah. Was when I when I was a beginner. And I wanted to do something at my opponent's end step. And they had eight cards in hand. And the guy literally says, discard, question mark? And I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. sure. And then discard something. And I was like, okay. And end of turn, is like, uh-uh, no end of turn. I'm like, what? 
like no nothing you can't do anything after this card unless it triggers an ability or something but yeah that's, yeah. that's true and i was like whoa I, I got got but yeah he was right and i mean he very much consciously asked that question that yeah. way with, because he knew i had like all the mana up and i wanted to do something after him. but it was fine it was like a, a learning moment for me and i never fell for that again yeah, that, that, that there's a, a learning instance, at least in that one, where you know, Zach, Zach you learned to I just learned. touch. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. learned, and every time I see, because that guy, that guy's a vendor, so every time I see him, I'm just like, <laughs> bad man, you're a bad you know, man. But, but I, I took my best friend to to a legacy tournament um, a couple of years ago. He we he started together back in school, but then he he quit after a couple of years, like I did, and then I came back. But he never came back. But I I got him to play a legacy tournament at least once, or even like a magic tournament, and we gave him Sue at the time, which was like one of the easiest decks to play for a beginner. And he played against Ad Nauseam Tenderers, and he had no idea what was going on. But the thing is, the opponent was at three life after the Ad Nauseam. And he literally, he had lightning bolt in hand. And the Ad Nauseam guy, just to build Storm, plays Duress. And he just, like, lays his hand down. And the other guy is like, okay, pick the lightning bolt. And I ask him, like, why didn't you play the lightning bolt? He was like, the other guy should have told me. You should have told me that I need to lightning bolt. Like, this is not how it works. No. <laughs> and to this day, he tells me he got cheated out of the game. I was oh, like, okay, no. I guess. No, you have to lightning bolt, people. You don't show your hand for duress if you have a lightning bolt in your hand. It's like in football. Okay, we are going to attack through the left flank. So maybe you want to defend on that side. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Thank you for letting me know. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Here's our play. Uh, for this round, yeah, I um, thought momentarily that it was going to be a story of him not knowing when he would have priority to cast the bolt, but he didn't so even know what like... priority was in the first place. Oh, oh yeah. okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, actually, I wonder how many people know what priority is the bird in the first place. And let's say legacy, I think only like sixty percent, seventy. Well, I mean, so many of us don't even know what the stack is. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that, Julian, that's that, that's an ongoing meme because Mark Rosewater has gone on record saying that the majority of Magic players don't know what the stack is. Oh yeah, yeah. I read that article and like what a planeswalker is and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I, I once yeah. had a friend of mine who was like a very, very serious and competitive legacy player. The guy was like one of the most serious and competitive legacy players I ever knew, and he played a. I don't know what it was, like a big brain deck, at least he would think that, I guess. And he played Brainstorm, and he played against a, a burn player who was, like, insanely casual. Like, didn't know any rules, only knew I want to deal three damage to you at every single, at every possible moment. So the burn player, at some point where he didn't have priority, I think it was the, 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 the other guy's main phase, he was just like, bolt you to kill him and the other guy was like you do not have priority i don't have what <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and that, then the other guy goes like brainstorm and while he's resolving the brainstorm like he draws three cards he looks at the hand and then the burn player is like but you know it's like no you still can't do that i was like <laughs> the worst i want to do it. you i want to punch you <laughs> uh, the worst yeah kind of bolt is when he has all I, the cards in his hand <laughs> I, I like that though the, the, you, you, next time my opponent tries to kill me i'll be like not yet. I'll tell you when you can kill me. <laughs> I, I'm still going to do stuff before you kill me. <laughs> it was the same guy. Uh, like in Shaman, if you, if you ask, do you pass priority? It can very much sound like, do you trade, like, you know, like a card, like you would trade away a mm -hmm. card. That, uh, uh, and suddenly you're playing for anti. Yeah, mm -hmm. almost. <laughs> like it, it basically, when you, in Shaman, if you ask, do you, do you pass priority? It can sound like, is, is priority up for trade? So uh, that guy was like, Oh no, this is not my deck. <laughs> like these, yeah, none of these are for yeah. trade. It was like, no. This, <laughs> <laughs> oh no. 
yeah so but that's good that's good like the guy had a good time the other guy not so much but i mean so, so that, that's the beauty of magic right that we, we talk about that for we, we've been talking about that for decades at times that like variance is a big part of why the game is successful and it wouldn't be as successful if it was like too much more like chess i think there was a discussion mm -hmm. on twitter the other day eternal dirtles is proud to be sponsored by moxfield moxfield is the best magic the gathering deck building website on the internet you can create share and find decks from commander to legacy and even fan supported formats like pre-modern and old school you can see all of our decks on our moxfield follow the links below to stay tuned but we haven't even talked about painter i guess <laughs> yeah that's good let's talk about that we should talk about let's painter. get into it i mean i i wanted to had before when i was saying that like oh yeah there's like the the i the auto win button or like the the means to be able to combo off to end the game on the spot and like the threat of that is really powerful that you know any of the time that i've explored painter or i've listened to uh you and callum talk about painter on uh everyday eternal that for the most part that painter threatens the combo but does not necessarily the majority of its games are not won by comboing is that yeah does that still hold true even in the in the current metagame yeah yeah i i would say so especially it's especially against combo as well against a lot of combo decks you you have such a strong sideboard that you rarely ever kill them that way but also in, in most other matchups the combo comes up quite a bit. I want to say like maybe even 50% or something, maybe less, uh, if I had to guess like less, just because Urcha Saga is just so good. That, that card was mm -hmm. so transformational for the deck. And a lot of people struggled to adopt it, at least from what I saw, because they were like, oh, dear, there's like so much dissynergy and we want to play like, I don't know, Four Blood Moons main and, and Magos of the Moon main and everything. And of course, that's horrible. But the card is just like so good and gives you so much more potential. And I mean, yeah, it's nice that you can grab Grindstone. A lot of times you actually grab Mox Opal. Which is a testament to the the, the mid range aspect of the deck. Like I, I want to say, eighty percent of times you literally grab, grab Mox Opal just because you want to like further your your uh, position on the board and everything. And that's why I'd say combo comes up like forty percent of times. It, it, it's really hard to put numbers on it because you'd have to average out all the, the different um, matchups, yeah. and that's that's just like yeah. But that for the most part, that when approaching, like if somebody were approaching how to combat painter i feel like a lot of a lot of the focus is put onto well their deck is called painter they are painter grindstone i must stop the painter grindstone when that's not actually like we, i imagine that there's still a lot of edge gains when people are boarding for trying to like not get comboed and then they just get beat you know like you just like or make it's like yeah i have these thick constructs or i go on the dragon engine grind plan like mm -hmm. there's a lot of different aspects where the people approach how to combat the deck as primarily combo when it's really it's it's become more backdoor combo is that is is that true <laughs> backdoor combo yeah it's 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 a little bit more than backdoor combo i would say but you you're very much right especially if you play against people who are not as familiar with it it's one of the, those situations where you go turn one grindstone right like i give you the example earlier with turn one heritage to it and people are like mm -hmm. farciful and you're like this is the yeah. best thing that could have ever happened to me and that's i'm trying to get this to focus properly anyway and that's that's the beauty of it i, I guess you should have renamed miracles like snapcaster aggro so people would be like such a good snapcaster here we go <laughs> yeah uh, that's I, got, I, 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 I gotta start doing that ad campaign because <laughs> I, I i i i need people to 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 fear something out of my out of my list otherwise they're just like oh it's phil i have i know i have 
all 48 minutes to do yeah. whatever. Well, I mean, and, now you're calling it 40K Miracles, and people think that it's because your entire deck is altered, not because you're playing, uh, uh, what is it, St. Catherine. St. Catherine. Yeah, yeah, that, that, <laughs> Julie, that, was, that was something that we I, I struggled with when the deck was just being called 40K Miracles, and everybody thought that that's just how much the deck cost, not that it was indicative of Triumph of St. Catherine. Actually, and was that was like, my first thought as well. I guess if you yeah, see it that, spelled right, out, yeah. then you think of Warhammer, but yeah. But that's, by the way, go, that was a mistake. Yeah. Quickly going back to what you mentioned, I think that's the, the reason that Meltdown is one of the best anti-strategy, anti-tactics against the deck is it fights the combo plan and it fights the beatdown plan. Meltdown is so devastating. Uh, it also takes away like all the tempo that you spend on creating those constructs. That yeah. sometimes when you even see it coming, you only make one construct. You basically want to invest the minimum possible to force them into a meltdown while still like being able to do something else. Like ideally, gets um, your your fable of the mirror breaker down. So you have to like you know allo- allocate resources to the stuff that doesn't die to meltdown while still like putting them into a spot where they want to go for it. And ideally, you eventually arrive at a spot where you get painter down, and then you have like I don't know two blasts up or something. It's it, it, you got to be very conscious. And that's, for example, why it's also so backbreaking sometimes when these blue-black decks sometimes splash like a single, I don't know, volcanic island to have like two meltdowns in the sideboard. And you're like, okay, I never saw that one coming. I, I was mm-hmm. actually going to ask about that. Uh, so your your sideboard plan for meltdown is, is just mitigation. Yeah, that's like... That card is too good and too, too strong. It's that, There's not really much you can do about that. There was one... There's, there's a single card that I thought about. But never included, never even tried out, but that just like popped up in my head because I saw it in other decks and that was Welding Char. Yeah, <laughs> I thought about it too, yeah. <laughs> it's just like such a horrible card on its own, right? You, it doesn't even like beat something like, I don't know, prismatic Ending, Sorts of Plowchars. So yeah. it's but I've, technically, I've, yeah. I've moved on to like, you know, obviously I'm playing the blue version. So Hydro Blast Abound. Um, but uh, I think I've moved towards uh, Metallic Rebuke as like as an answer mm-hmm. because like they're gonna you know they're gonna spend you know X to get rid of you know whatever is on my board. But generally three mana is a l- little bit more than what they're gonna have afterwards. A lot of times, yeah, especially these decks that play it. I mean, the only melt- decks that might play Meltdown that could pay for it, are, I don't know, some kind of like four color mid range thingies. But all these Diver decks that play it, they can't really pay three. I feel like if, they, I if feel, we've gotten to that point of the game, they probably already have it. Too. <laughs> yeah, I, I also feel like all the mid, like the any of the bigger decks that are playing green for some reason, I see they lean more towards uh, Seeds of Innocence than they do Meltdown. I'm, I'm not exactly sure why, but I mean they are green heavier than they are red. Uh, but I, I've noticed that I, I see more Seeds of Innocence out of the board outside of like the Euro style decks than I do on uh, Meltdowns, whereas Meltdowns is just like in every Delver deck. I feel like you know? Seeds of Innocence is an I, I own this card flex. <laughs> I think it I, might I, be. I, I think Seeds of Innocence is just that, I mean, maybe it's, it's you know, kicked a little bit, but I think it was also a hedge towards uh, being able to deal with Kappa as well. Which it is does, where, it's like, like, it, it, was just, it, like the, it was just a trade-off to respect Kappa. And I mean, I, I haven't seen a Kappa in months. I feel like that's, yeah, even that's Uro, just like, like Uro doesn't really feel like it's that big part of a meta game anymore. Like everybody's like all about like fourth Erlingas, which mm-hmm. that's a card I actually kind of want to try and paint and I still haven't because at least on Magic Online, basically, I don't want to flex too much, but every like it's not even a flex. Like almost every league I play is a far one, which is it's not even a flex, right? You you barely get five fours. But I I felt like in paper, especially when we played in Italy at the Four Seasons, Italy loves their, like, four-color mid-range, whatever. Like, it's it's a heritage of their of their miracles um, tradition there. 
and you play against these decks and it's so hard sometimes and sometimes i feel like fourth erlingas would be amazing but i've, I've never really done it I, I can't really imagine it in the main deck it's too clunky for that but it also doesn't really feel like a great sidebar card and that's in the end why i never really did it but i, I, I kind of want to try it at some point you, you know you got uh, you got a reasonable amount of fast mana that you can put into it so yeah maybe someday and, yeah, i mean the petals with, and the opals yeah with all of the yeah, with all the gabas and the ancient tombs, I mean the the trick is just to dump the that mana rock that gives you the initiative. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> isn't, isn't isn't that like four mana or something? Mana rock. Uh, yeah, but there, now there's also isn't there an equipment or something that does it as well? Mm. Oh, but that, the equipment's also four mana. I think I was trying to think if there was anything with the, the uh, torch. With engineer <laughs> that you could bring back. I know there's the there's there's the new uh, monarchy equipment where. It, like it, you become the monarch when you. Mm -hmm. uh, I forget what it's called, but it's like the it's like Crown of Gondor crown. or something. Yeah, yeah, Crown yeah, of Gondor. Yeah. Let's go with that. Is, yeah. it, is it? Oh, I should yeah. be working with this. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's it's literally it's like from the most recent Commander Lord of the Rings set, and it's it's just the equipment that gives you the it's like the monarchy equipment, mm -hmm. but it costs three. And I was like, oh, this is funny because when when the card was first spoiled, I was like, you know. Obviously, when you see an equipment, the first thing that comes to mind is Stoneforge Mystic. But I'm like, no, no, no. If if this ever sees play, it's probably with Goblin Engineer. Mm. It doesn't excite me because it's 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 so and so, right? It's mm -hmm. you get it, then Diver attacks you back, and you're like, okay, what did I do to myself? I, you know, Painter is is like the even though there's a lot of uh, flexibility with how to to build Painter, the deck is so. It, like it's so consistent and so good that I feel like a trap is the the amount of flexibility that you theoretically could use. Yeah, because you know? yeah, yeah. like a, a lot, a lot, a lot of the things that you could add or that you would swap in are actually like deteriorating what the, like the strength of the deck because it's so it has the capacity to be flexible. Mm. When there's like obviously like this is these are like the 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 best ways to go and it's like the most fluid fluid and. Uh, yeah. yeah, shout I out mean, support I, to Phyrexia. Nine mana yeah. artifacts. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right. Like that's a, that's a excellent example of just like yeah, you know, obviously it's going to have its spots, but there's going to be a lot of those things where you just have a nine drop and yeah. it feels bad. Callum has done it, and even I have used it a little bit. Um, and by the way, for those who don't know, it's a nine mana. It's it's not like required knowledge for Legacy. I guess it's a nine mana artifact. When it comes into play, your opponent or even opponents, I don't know, sacrifice three creatures. And I think on every upkeep or something, on every one of your upkeeps, you get to put any creature from any graveyard into play under your control. We basically mm -hmm. used it online as a replacement for Chaos Defiler as your like high-end welder okay. able, but not uh, Goblin Engineer able high-end. But it's it's just like, it's not good. It's it's nine mana, you barely ever cast it, whereas five mana, the deck is reasonably capable of. So, yeah. It's a it's an ETB plague wind that obviously if your goblin engine is online, uh, because your yeah it's when it ETBs your opponent sacrifices two creatures and then you're right at the beginning of your upkeep, uh, put target creature card from a graveyard mm. onto the battlefield under your control. It's a Phyrexian addition to its other type, so you can actually pull stuff from their graveyard. But yeah, it's it, you know dragon engine seems to be the better way. Or dragon engine so you know, good. You can put, put together the combo and kill them. Right. It, it's so funny when you get dragon engine down. In paper, sometimes the opponent would pick it up and read the back, and you're like, "Oh, that does a backside." I totally forgot about yeah. that. I, I actually can't tell that. you what the backside yeah. does. It's it's part of a planeswalker or something. Yeah, we we're not probably. doing that. That's not the plan. Yeah. Although it would go. be yeah, really yeah. funny to to like 
get somebody with that. You're just like, okay, yeah, I'm going to throw the three mana uh, Mishra in here. Yeah, it's a four mana Mishra and it's black. And if I have seen it flip, it is, it is, (laughs) it it has happened. Well, because the 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 way that you flip it is you just attack together. So it's not like the Urza that's mana gated. Yeah, mana gated. You know, you just you just like. The most you common way that the dragon engine actually gets somebody, and by now it has happened like dozens of times to me on Magic Online at least, they the reanimated player will have no cards in hand, but they will reanimate your dragon engine, and they expect to be able to discard the hand and draw three cards. And dragon engine has this very unique text that says it only triggers when it comes into play from your graveyard as oh, opposed wow. to a graveyard. So it comes from my graveyard to the opponent's side of the board. So it didn't come into play from their graveyard. So they don't get the trigger. And you can literally tell on Magic Online, like, they get it. And then there's, like, a 30-second break. And they're <laughs> yeah, like, what just like happened? Trying to, like, <laughs> oh, like I'm is, putting a report in right now. Yeah. <laughs> so is, is, that, is that actually the most enjoyable part of Painter? Is this, uh, that exact interaction where in those 30 seconds where you know that they're coming to that realization? Yeah, you just yeah. You be like, mm, this is delicious. It's pretty close. It's pretty close. I, I think the most... Uh, the most enjoyable part is just when you killed him out of nowhere because he had so much fast mana they didn't expect it. Mm-hmm. It's it's just so good. It, I don't know. <laughs> it, it's perfect. Um, one of the things I think that that's interesting. Well, I, I wouldn't say it's interesting about Painter, but uh, puts it in a really great position is that it's pretty good against Bowmasters. Like you're not really worried about a Bowmaster coming down. You put that in the show notes, and I was like, oh. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of Bowmaster. Like, it's so good that people at least still keep it in the deck post-board, but you're right. Okay. It's not as susceptible to, to Bowmaster as, like, your, I don't know, Brainstorm, Ponder, Cantrip, like, the half of the format, right? There's a reason. It's, I think, the most played creature in Legacy right now. Painter doesn't suffer from it nearly as much as those decks do. So yeah. I, I, I guess that, that, that there's a good point to that. The, the problem with Bowmaster, though, is it still kills Welder, which is one of your best creatures. So yeah. there's quite a lot. There are quite a lot of matchups where you actually use side out all your welders, which hurts quite a lot because turn one welder, yeah. turn two engineer is still great. But it also it caps the uh, the dragon engine and the uh, uh, fable of the mirror breaker, and that's quite annoying, especially for the dragon okay. engine because uh, against a lot of like mid rangey decks, you you try to go a little bit over the top, and dragon engine is a big part of that, and that's. That, that's a problem. I've been in that position many times where I have to make the decision, do, do I basically want to lose like half my board and and give them like a 4-4 just so I can get like a, a redraw for three cards? And a lot of times it's really on the edge, but slightly not worth it. But you still got to do it because otherwise you're even further behind. So almost is annoying, but it's not backbreaking in, yeah. in a lot of games. But it is, it, so it, it is, 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 uh, mid against you because yeah you do have those draw effects i didn't even think about uh dragon engine yeah. as being like a draw effect that you would slam in against it but yeah that makes sense yeah it's it's it's, it's quite annoying i would even say it's it's not completely backbreaking but it's it's quite annoying yeah teach teach me and everybody who would listen what is the actual appropriate way to try and handle a fable of the mirror breaker is it just hit the token and then figure it out or yeah, a lot of times it... if you get the the turn one fable, that's great because you would feel like oh, if I get the turn one fable, that means I use the fast mana for it, so it's like card disadvantage. But the very same fast mana you get back on the very next turn, right? You use a lotus petal to get it out with ancient tomb, 
I mean, if you use two two pedals on a basic land, that's that sucks. But if you use an ancient tomb and a lotus petal, you fall behind on a card technically. But then you get it immediately back unless they kill the token. In which case, it's still kind of okay because you you still got the two for one once you get the the kiki chiki whatever it's called. I don't even know. And from there, you very often figure it out. One one of the biggest or one of the most common decisions in Painter is the sequencing on uh, basically three things. Do you want to go turn one? saga which enables the turn three kill if you have a paint on the second turn because then you find grindstone you go there which is like pretty all in you can do that when you feel like it's very much a race especially in the first game against combo decks and stuff that then that's the most common thing to do or do you go turn one uh saga and try to make tokens with uh ancient tomb which is a little bit more middle of the road or do you go turn one fable which doesn't really commit you to either line but gives you a lot more flexibility and that's a lot more common in the matchups where you feel like your mana might be attacked, where like your wasteland might wreck you, so you get get a, not only do you get the, the lotus petal or treasure that comes off the token, but you also get the additional filtering, so you can throw away all your expensive stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's something that I if, if people do something wrong, I think that's one of the more common things for people to get wrong, and I get that wrong as well uh, at times, and sometimes I do, and I don't even know. That's that's even worse. <laughs> But yeah, Fable, Fable a lot of times. Like, it's, it's kind of funny when I talk to Callum and we share hands on the Everyday Eternal Discard. And I'm like, what would I do the here? And uh, I think Callum is the guy who, like, 90% of times will tell you, I would just play Fable on the first turn. And I think a lot of times it's really correct. And yeah, Fable is, is amazing. So yeah, from what you mentioned, it depends on the matchup. Oh, you tuned in to learn that, I guess. <laughs> the answer is it depends. That's, that's the most common uh, answer we, we, we do in law and stuff. But yeah, you most of the time figure it out. It's very rare that you play a fable because you know you want to put something in the graveyard and then next time you're going to get it back with your goblin wilder or something. That happens. But a lot of times, literally the answer is you, you get fable out and then you figure it out from there. Because you also like over the next turn cycle, you also gain more information of what the opponent is up to, whether you're looking for lands, whether you're looking for combo or just like more mid-range soup stuff. So mm-hmm. it is with all of the you said that you were on how many blasts now four blasts five blasts uh right now it's five like there's a steady decrease as black gets better on legacy we kind of decrease yeah i was gonna i was gonna ask if um the the number of blue the number of blue decks that where the threats have shifted away from blue into non-blue things if the when you go into a matchup are, are the blasts are you thinking you know, for the most part, these blasts are meant to protect the combo, or are you thinking that they are intended to stop my opponent, or like, is it again just like, very flexible, but like if you were open, if you were opening your hand in the blind, and you saw two blasts, is that something that you would keep, or is that something that you'd be like this is, I, I can't Without information, I can't keep a hand like this. Uh, the blasts are the cards that's really, especially in the opening hand, I care the least about. I, I guess once mm. you get to like three blasts, it gets a little bit awkward. But I would usually not keep or mull a hand based on like having one or two blasts because they are they are so flexible. And I guess we keep going back to Fable. Also, like a lot of hands that you keep where you're Fable, right. you can also get rid of Blast if you don't eat them. But I, I want to say, like, number one thing Blasts actually do, it's really there to protect the combo. You can do that, but a lot of times you've used them before. Uh, you want to be able to kill Merktide. Merktide is a lot mm. less present in the format than it used to be. It's still one, one of the biggest threats in the format. 
And that's the one thing we can barely interact with outside of blasts. Uh, I, I guess if you have like Briar's Apprentice and you make the top of the token and you block. Uh, but it helps. It's a big help that recently Callum has like pushed this on me and I, I wasn't really on board until I actually tried it after the last four seasons, which is splashing white for Forsyth's to plowshares. And I've been mm -hmm. so happy about the Forsyth's supply plowshares for now. I don't really want to go back and I might even pick up plateaus, which is something is that, I couldn't is that imagine. Is that main board swords or is that post board swords? No, no, four, four main deck sorts of plowshares and one copy of either Swan Cannonist. By the way, it's kind mm -hmm. of funny that either Swan Cannonist, I didn't expect it to be as good as it ended up being because I'm not really a big fan of having like these, these silver bullet hate pairs in the main deck. I mean, we can tutor for it, but a lot of times I figured it's, it's not going to be worth it. But hear, hear me out. And that's, as my camera keeps getting out of focus, not a good day for it today. Anyway, so here's the thing I did not expect that's actually really cool about Canonist. If you play against these, let's say, ring decks especially, I guess these decks, uh, these days it's also like Beanstalk, I would guess, but especially when I played against the ring decks, they draw so many cards, but if you have a Canonist out, you will still lose in the long run. But yeah. you are actually able to sometimes grind out a spot that's a window for, I want to say, like one, two, maybe sometimes three turns, where you can actually either kill them by combo or by beatdown. And while they get so much card draw, it really only ends up being card filtering because they only can play a single card on your turn and on their turn. And even if you have very limited resources, you can fight back, right, during that window because you only ever need to match them. You, you, they can't give... They can't go into the quantity of their cards. They can only dig into the quality of their cards. And that's yeah. capped, right? That's only like in Legacy, we have so many good cards. So that kind of asymmetrical I, for you too. You know, you're playing an artifact deck. Yeah, 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 yeah. That that that's where it comes into like the combo aspect of it, right? You let's say you get painter down and they want to fight over it, and then you have power blast, and then they're out of stuff. So it, it, it's kind of cool. So Canonist ended up being better than I expected it. And so, is is your build right now? Are you on? Are you on a like a, a closer to like shortcake type of build? Yeah, I, I don't really want to call it shortcake because short. But you're right; it's it's closer to that. But the the thing about shortcake is that it uses enlightened tutor, and I am staying very far away from that card ever since I lost the table tennis um, match over it when I was a child, and I didn't get it, and that's why I guess we have like a troubled relationship. But yeah, the, the the build is pretty much very similar to what you knew as like mono red painter or like I guess splash black painter for um, uh, chaos defiler. But it just like it cuts some more blasts and some kind of utility. For example, in the in the mono red version or black red version, I I had some ensnaring bridges because they were pretty well against blue black scam. But in the grand scheme of things, the the sorts of plowshares just worked up so much better, and I'm a really mm -hmm. big fan of them. I was just say the the ensnaring bridge is also the way that I've seen people try and interact with Merktide, um, but again, like th that's one of those we were talking about tension before. It's like if the threat that you care about is still on the table, then the tension remains because then it's like mm -hmm. all right, now we have to fight over the brazen borrower on this thing, and like that becomes what the game actually cares about. Uh, but between Chaos Defiler and now the adaptation of uh, adding Swords to Plowshares and and are we getting that much closer to Painter being the first ever competitive Mardu deck? <laughs> Shoutouts to Nate. <laughs> Shoutouts to Team Italia. <laughs> Something. Uh, yeah, it, it's kind of funny because we still have um, Chaos Defiler on Magic Online in a way that all, all, almost gives me like the peace of mind that I don't have to think about how to build a deck. Because just the other day, somebody tweeted at me. Was it actually one of you guys? I'm trying to remember. 
somebody tweeted at me, uh, no, it was somebody else, and asked how to build the deck in paper with white and chaos defiler. So you're kind of like tricolor. And I was like, dude, you, you literally tweeted at me as I'm holding my paper deck in my hands <laughs> and I'm trying to figure this out. And I'm just like putting it away and just keep going back to grinding magic online because it, it's not that hard. Like the hardest part for me is actually what do I cut from my online list for the chaos defiler? Because it really either has to be the third fury which i don't want to cut because i don't have a sideboard slot to, to put it in and i don't want to go to like two furies over the 75 so it can't really be fury and the other option is briar's apprentice which i very often kind of miss when i cut it but it's it's the most logical cut because it's also in that like mid-range utility slot and everything else i don't really want to cut so i'll figure it out once the next big paper tournament rolls around which i guess in my case it's end of october and and then eternal weekend of course in, in november so we i get to it once i have to but right now there's just like so many like i started a new job there's so many other things going on in my life right now that i enjoyed basically just grinding magic online while i added every day eternal and and yeah that's that's where i am right now so if you were to go into the next big legacy event and you are playing your and you were sleeping up painter what is the 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 how many blasts would you play and uh what is the configuration of uh flex that you would uh advocate for so you in paper right yeah okay i would play five blasts as i do right now and uh -huh. i would play three furies and i would probably cut the Breyer's apprentice for chaos defiler that's there's really nothing else i feel i can touch that's if in order to make room for the for sorts of plowshares, we've decreased the number of like you know utility flex slots so hard. I, I guess you could cut the fourth sorts of plowshares. I wouldn't hate that, but yeah, those are those are the cards I'd be looking at: the Reyes Apprentice or the fourth sorts of plowshares. Or if you want to go really hard, you could like cut a Fury, but then at least add it to the sideboard. But the sideboard is like so good right now. I'm such a big fan of it that I don't really want to touch it. I was going to ask: Is the is the Urza Saga package in in Red Painter, or in this case, Red White Painter, is is the only uh, targets for it? Like the Mox Opals, is like Shadow Spear in the main? Is that like something that we still care about? No, no, and it's also a big problem against, for example, um, uh, let's say either Blue Painter or Eight Cast because they also have Urza Saga. And their Urza Saga is just so much better. Not only because on average they get the bigger constructs, you can deal bubbles, with that. Yeah. yeah. But the the much bigger problem is the Shadow Spear because the Trample makes it so that you can't pull all of your, you know, like Welder shenanigans where you like block and then you weld your paint out, get something else. You still take way too much damage. And for for like a couple of months, I'm at the point where I sometimes I feel like I actually have to bring in Blood Moon against them and take out my Orza Sagas because I get dominated by their Orza Sagas so hard. So yeah, we don't have Shadow Spear. It, it doesn't really like wipe all that well with the rest of the deck with all your, like your one, two and one, one goblins and, and one, three painters. It's, just yeah. like, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not that great, but we usually go for Mox Opal or Grindstone. We have Soul Guide Lantern. We got, after sideboard, we got Pithing Needle. And on rare occasions, you get Lotus Petal, usually when you either don't have Metalcraft or you like already have your, your Mox Opal somewhere. And that's pretty much it. Uh, something that's kind of cute that you can do is, uh, what's it called? Not Soul Guide Lantern, but um, Pirate, not, not Pirate Spellbomb. Nihil Spellbomb, uh, yeah. mm -hmm. the Black Spellbomb, basically. 
It has the added advantage of still being live on turn one once you get it down, like Soul Guide Lantern. It has a disadvantage of not being a two-shot thing, so a lot of times I would like get Soul Guide Lantern down, take out Uro, and then I'm able to often prevent the Uro that comes after that, or at least delay it. Nihil Spellbomb can't do that. Of course, Nihil Spellbomb has the upside of drawing the card and nuking the graveyard. And here's another thing, and I only became conscious of that like a couple of months ago. Nihil Spellbomb is also a draw engine as opposed to Soul Guide Lantern. Yeah, it's a yeah. death trigger. Exactly, right? When it goes to the yeah. graveyard, you can play black. So if you keep switching your things between your graveyard and your main deck with one of the goblins, Nihil Spellbomb still draws your card while doing that, yeah. whereas Soul Guide Lantern yeah. doesn't. But... Overall, yeah, you have to choose with Soul Guide Lantern. Basically, do I want to draw or do I want to exile the graveyard? Yeah, but of course, like the trade-off is you get to do it like one and a half times, kind of like almost twice. Yeah. It's a card it I thought play. about, like you know, throwing into to eight cast as well because I'm now, like, I can Zach, I can reliably you, make you, that you, black mana. Nah, Zach, you got Candy Trail, and that card is too cool to. <laughs> you, you can't you can't not be playing Candy Trail. You got to have it. You know, Julian, I have a I have a question because we're we're running we're running low on time. I have a question uh, for the layman. Uh, Bray's Apprentice. Why? Like, tell me about this card. Like, why why do you play it in the deck? Oh, it makes a sweet. I have, I have a sweet top token. That's no. <laughs> no the thing is, Bray's Apprentice. That's good enough reason. Bray's yeah. Apprentice. Like, it does so many things. It's one of those that. Uh, things that you get to just like accumulate your no uh, your knowledge yeah your your advantage in the game over a couple of turns it's it's really good it it, it covers so many bases to like a, like 80 90 degrees for example you get the top the token which is colorless so you can block dark depth tokens uh every day or all day every day you can make so much card advantage once you get the goblins involved you basically you sack the token and then you can even like sack it to itself and you get it back. For example, sometimes it sacks to itself and then you get it back by sacrificing the token. Then you get a new token. It's it's, wow. it's a really Actually, good draw yes. engine. It's amazing. Yeah, you you get so much better. Even if you if you don't have the goblins to go nuts with it, you can still like, you know, eat your lotus petals, eat your great furnaces and, and get so much kind of advantage that way. Or even like at that point, I guess it's more like looting, filtering. And so in the mid late game, it's really good. In the early game, it's also pretty decent because like it also puts like a little bit of, of pressure on planeswalkers. For example, I mentioned the, uh, the scenario where they get to ferry down. So if they get to ferry down, there's not really a scenario where they can like minus it to get rid of, of, of your board because then the ferry is going to die because you had that guard. And the, the one minor thing, and that's really not factoring into putting into the deck, but a lot of opponents miss that and they pay for it dearly. It has a second ability as my camera cuts out, so I guess that's also. <laughs> um, it has a second yeah, it, ability. You don't want to, don't want to, don't want to share this information. Yeah, yeah. See, and that's the podcast. So <laughs> no, the second ability is you can sacrifice an artifact to give an artifact creature plus zero plus O. Mm -hmm. And you know, you have we have double strikers in the deck. We actually have a little bit of double strikers in the deck. We have fury. And we have oh, right. dra yeah. uh, Dragon Engine. Okay. And a lot of people actually miss that, and they have paid for it. And it's really only cute. It's not why it's there, but I, I like it. I like it quite a lot. Yeah. That, that That is, like, I did not consider that interaction ever. Yeah. So uh, that, that that is something that I would have been got, got, got by in the moment. Yeah. <laughs> of just not, not thinking, like, oh, actually, I'm not taking, you know, three here or whatever. I'm taking eight. Yeah. You know? mm -hmm. It's cool. It's really cool. Well, I think I I have to go to work soon, so I I've, I've got to get going. But uh, Julian, it's been a blast having having you on the show. Thanks so much for coming. Thanks for inviting me, guys. I'm looking forward to listening to this. Yeah, this is gonna be yeah, this is gonna be, be fun. Um, yeah, uh, we'll put all your links below. 
Uh, obviously, you're the you're one of the hosts of the Everyday Eternal podcast. Is there anywhere else people should look to find you? Uh, check it out on everyday-eternal.com. Check me out on It's Tune in 23 on X and Instagram. Actually, on Instagram, it's a different one, but you, you will figure it out. And yeah, that's that's the best way to get in contact. And with that, by the way, if you want to go to Kenya, if you want to book a safari, if you want to have a great time, if you want to go, I don't know, water skiing, diving, kite surfing, climbing Mount Kenya, Mount Kilimanjaro, you hit me up on, I guess, the same socials and we'll make it work for you. Whoa, that sounds awesome. Yeah. That's a I whole actually, thing I actually, didn't even delve into, man. Yeah, we, we'll do it on the next time. We'll do it next yeah. time. I, I've actually sold quite a fair amount of safaris to to listeners and and like people who watch me. By the way, on twitch.com, at uh, twitch.tv slash it's Julian. Dude, I, I really need to standardize my socials. Maybe maybe I'm actually going to do that rebrand to Magma Lord 3000. I don't know. It sounds kind of... There you go. Cool. And for, for anybody, uh, Everyday Eternal just started season two of uh, their podcast, so jump on those guys are experts and uh one of my favorite listens uh outside of uh my own voice thank you so much (laughs) have a good one everybody thanks so much for watching hey if you like this video please consider supporting us on patreon it really helps the channel grow don't forget to like subscribe comment all that stuff and once again thanks for watching have a good one everybody